Welcome to CoachUp's Spark Leadership Podcast, a platform devoted to exploring the future of work through coaching and behavioral change. This season, we'll be sharing in-depth conversations with some of the world's brightest psychologists, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and thought leaders. We'll cover hot topics like uh, organizational transformation, women leadership, executive coaching, and navigating work in today's market. I'm your host this week, Janis Niedelschutz, founder and CEO of CoachUp. Today, I will be speaking with Jerry Colonna, CEO of Reboot.io and author of Reboot, Leadership and the Art of Growing Up. Jerry, who's known as the CEO Whisperer, is also a certified executive coach. His coaching focuses on helping executive clients identify behavioral changes to improve the leadership, job performance, and satisfaction through radical self-inquiry. Executive coaching is an important topic that is, unfortunately, often overlooked in business. Many people assume that once someone reaches the C-suite, they should be self-sufficient powerhouses who can solve any problem single-handedly. The truth is that executives need support and coaching as much as everybody else to unlock their leadership potential, develop power skills such as emotional intelligence, and make lasting impact. Welcome to the show, Jerry. Thanks for having me. It's really a delight to be here. Awesome to have you with us. I would say let's let's dive right in. So in your experience, what are the top challenges that executives face in today's volatile global marketplace? Well, I think you named some of them in the introduction. There is a belief, for example, that the higher up or hierarchy folks go, that somehow they're supposed to have all the answers. And that creates a multiplicity of problems, one of which, for example, is a profound sense of loneliness and inability to navigate the normal ups and downs of everyday life in a business. The truth is, of course, much more complicated than that. And uh, the higher up they go, oftentimes the less they know. That's an interesting observation. Do you feel or see with your clients that the challenges those executives face have changed over the last, I don't know, 12 to 6 months? I don't know that they've changed so much over the last 12 to 6 months. I mean, there are larger macro and economic and political issues that are affecting businesses everywhere. I mean, you know, you're from Europe, we have a land war going on in Europe, for God's sake. That's powerful. We have global economy teetering on recession. Are we going into recession? Are we not? You know, we're coming out of the pandemic. Those are all forces that are impacting business leaders around the world. But I think that the larger trends that are affecting people have actually been going on for more than just the last 12 to 6 to 12 months. They've been going on for a decade or more. For example, What is a business leader's responsibility as it relates to a question of what is often referred to as systemic othering? When 60, 70% of your employees want you to take a political stance, for example, in protecting human and civil rights, what is a leader's responsibility as it relates to that? That is a new phenomenon. That question is a new phenomena for leaders 
And uh, when I entered business 30, almost 40 years ago, that wasn't really uh, part of the dialogue. I think another thing that's new is the deep and profound emphasis on mental well-being within an organization. Um, that, again, was not something that was true 30, 40 years ago and is very much true today. So that's an increasing demand for those executives to help their organizations in those areas, which they probably are not equipped with, I, I assume. Are there other trends you, you're observing that are maybe more present? I'm talking of topics like stress management, resilience topics, you know, with so many things moving is there anything you see as a, as a major trend that comes up more in the last couple of, of quarters? Perhaps it's just the way my brain is wired, but I don't think in terms of quarters or the last year or recent trends. I think that there tends to be a lot of resurfacing of issues uh, that show up, and sometimes the media will present them as if they're new. So, for example, just last week I was doing an interview with a major business publication on mental well-being and depression in the workplace. And, you know, not to sound too cynical, but um, the media sort of cycles back onto that issue, oftentimes after some sort of violent episode has happened. The real truth is that that has always been an issue. Again, 20, 30 years ago, when leaders were expected to be stoic and infallible and omniscient, the way those challenges were managed oftentimes were with substances like alcohol or just a kind of repression of their experiences. What has been going on for the last 10 years, 15 years, has been a slow recognition that that is unsustainable and that we are contributing to um, an epidemic of burnout and depression and dissatisfaction. And we saw some of the result of this during the pandemic when the phenomena of that was silly in its label, quiet quitting, started happening. I think that uh, you know what I am seeing in recent months is that business leaders are trying to grapple with What does a return to office policy look like? How many days per week we expect people to return to an office? That is a near-term phenomena that is, in fact, uh, impacted by the longer-term issues. Mm -hmm. Since you're an executive coach yourself, how can coaching help in those, you know, these are broad topics, these are big topics. Um, can coaching help? And if so, how does coaching help leaders with, with coping with all those questions and requests and demands and all these all these kind of things? Well, if you think about it for a moment, think about the issues that I identified, right? Uh, that image of what I often refer to as El Jefe, the boss, the person who sits at the top of a hierarchical pyramid. There's a brittleness around that approach that actually hurts both the individual in that seat and surprisingly prevents scalability within the organization. And good executive coaching should help the person who is in that seat, that leadership seat, understand the brittleness of that position and understand that expectations of infallibility and perfection 
actually hold back an organization from doing its best and realizing its fullest potential. So coaching can help that individual work through their own issues and the ways in which they uh, rely upon that point of view to the benefit of not only the individual, but the whole organization. You work as an executive coach, focuses on helping executives dig deeper into themselves through radical self-inquiry. That's what we spoke about in the intro. A provocative question that I hear often from business leaders or executives around the world. Shouldn't CEOs and top executives that focus on achieving their business KPIs rather than talking about their feelings? What's, uh, what's your point of view on that? I think it's silly. I think it's uh, a lockdown point of view. And I understand the dichotomy that's implicit in the observation. The challenge goes like this. We look at an organization and we say the organization has certain financial KPIs. And the question is, how do we unlock innovation, right? So that we can be our creative best, so that we can outwork and outthink the competition. Essential elements of driving financial performance. How do we create more collaboration and greater teamwork? Okay. So we can approach those things as a kind of isolated intellectual questions. How do I create more innovation within my organization, for example? And when I'm approached with that, I'll say, well, what are the levels of trust within the organization? Oh, not so much. We're a little bit scared of each other. We get a little bit of political. Okay. Well, how often do you tell the truth? And oftentimes I'm met with a blank stare at that moment. I say, okay, well, how do you expect people to follow your lead if you're not regularly telling the truth? And there's a pause. And then I say, well, why is it that you don't necessarily tell the truth of the fact, for example, that you might be feeling burned out and that you might be angry within the organization for nothing whatsoever that's happening within the organization, but you're setting off alarm bells throughout the organization? And then within a few questions, what you end up with is what I term the radical self-inquiry, which is that as a boy or as a girl, as a child, I was socialized to shut down my feelings. I grew up with the view that as people become adults, they focus only on the external experience. Well, we know for a fact that human beings are not organized that way. We know for a fact that if I am in difficulty, I will carry that difficulty throughout the day in my workplace. If I'm in distress, if I've had a fight with my spouse, I will carry that forward. Because we then have this point of view of that stoical, omniscient leader at the top of a pyramid, we create, as I said before, a kind of brittleness lack of trustworthiness within the organization. Now let's bring it back full circle. I dare you, I dare you to exceed your revenue objectives in having an organization that doesn't trust each other, doesn't communicate with each other, doesn't collaborate with each other, and can innovate. Go ahead, go try. Call me when you fail. I love it. 
I love it. I couldn't agree more. But do you have a practical experience or example of of an executive that you coached maybe and that showed radical change of behavior through that coaching? Yeah, well, let's go back and make it a little bit generic rather than a specific story. Think about the impact of a well-done 360-degree performance review. When those are done right, what happens is the individual, the focused person, does a self-assessment, and they come up with a point of view about how they've been behaving, how they are succeeding or failing. And probably the most interesting moments are when there's a profound cognitive dissonance, when they start to receive feedback that shows, for example, that their point of view of how they're doing is radically different than their peers' point of view of how they're doing. That's really interesting. Now, in some cases, the focused person will get incredibly defensive and begin to argue and tell you all the ways in which the data is wrong. Okay. But in most cases, it's a kind of shocking wake-up call. I remember, for example, working with someone who, you know, I laid out the results. It was probably the worst 360 I ever saw. And uh, the data came back, and I was met with the defensiveness, which, by the way, was one of the attributes that, that the leader had. And I said, look, you know, it's your choice what you want to do here. But based on my experience, and I've been doing this for about 22 years now, based on my experience, you're going to be fired within six to 12 months. And he was sort of shocked. He said, I'm the CEO and founder. I said, yeah, but you don't control everything. And the board has a fiduciary responsibility to make sure that the company succeeds. And this is a blueprint for failure. Now, by the way, a lot of the data points were things like lack of empathy, lack of listening skills, defensiveness, lack of ability to inquire into the, the machinations of the company in a way that was actually helpful. Are those the hard skills of being a CEO? Not necessarily. Those are the soft skills of being a leader. And yes, this fellow was fired in six months. Coming to our third topic, and I'm very glad because I have one of the leading executive coaches here with me. My question is what the most important characteristics would be to look, look out for when you're choosing an executive coach to make sure the engagement is successful? Well, I always say that uh, be wary of executive coaches who themselves have not done their own work. We are privileged and blessed to be in this vocation. And it is a calling, a true vocation. Unfortunately, too many people enter the profession with the belief that they're good listeners and people come to them for fixing. And good coaching is not about fixing problems. Good coaching is about helping the client understand their own issues and arrive at their own solutions. The challenge is if I have not done my work as a coach, as the client starts to succeed, I might get nervous that they don't need me anymore. 
And those of us who have been doing this a long time know that when that starts to arise, you've been successful. So to put it another way, great coaching happens and you know that great coaching has succeeded when the client doesn't need you anymore. You know, in that way, it's like a first responder coming and putting out a fire. You don't need the firefighters there at the house the next morning to clean up. Okay. Very insightful. I'd like to ask you a question that, you know, a lot of clients ask us, and I can totally understand that question because I'm a CEO myself. They're asking us, how do I measure the impact of coaching? How do I measure the ROI? I'm super curious about what what your response is in these in these cases, because we all kind of know it works, but we also have a bit of a hard time to to show the financial impact on on the coaching, right? So what is your take on that? Well, first of all, Harvard Business Review has done a number of studies on this, and I would point people to those studies that show the economic return on investing in leadership development generally and coaching specifically. And yes, it is incredibly difficult to measure the dollar-for-dollar return on investment there. I would say that um, you have to take a long-term view over the experience. You cannot begin to measure the impact of coaching you know, earlier than, say, six to 12 months because coaching is a transformative experience. It requires repetition. As I often say, cognitive awareness of a particular problem alone doesn't create transformation. It's cognitive awareness. Oh, shit, I have conflict avoidant tendencies that are exacerbating tensions within the organization. That's cognitive awareness. Repetition and doing the work is what changes that behavior. Coming to confront the parts of me that avoid confrontation is incredibly important. Then you'll measure that through feedback. For example, we do recommend performance feedback every year, if not every six months, so that you're getting the feedback from the individual's peers about how they are changing. Because the whole point is to change. Mm, I love that, especially the Harvard Business Review studies. That's powerful. Um, final thoughts here. What is the biggest takeaway that you've discovered from talking to your own coach and how has this changed the, the way of working for you personally? Well, actually what I do is I use uh, two things. I have a peer group of coaches and therapists that I work with every two weeks uh, and have worked with them for 25 years. So we know each other's bullshit pretty well and we call it out. And the second thing I have is an individual therapist to make sure that my internal demons don't show up in the coaching relationship. And I have been doing twice-weekly therapy since, well, for 32 years. It's an essential part of what I do. Why therapy and not necessarily hiring another coach? Um, I'm more interested in going even deeper on a regular basis And so sometimes, you know, those who are familiar with psychotherapy understand the concept of a supervisor, someone with whom you bring the challenges that you're working with with clients. And I will often use my therapist in that regard. And uh, I learn a lot from that. 
And then, of course, as a coaching company, we all support each other. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you to our guest, Jerry Colonna. It's been great speaking with you. You can find Jerry's book, Reboot, Leadership and the Art of Growing Up on Amazon, Apple Books and other retailers. And thank you all for listening to Spark Leadership. Please join us in two weeks for the next episode. You can subscribe to Spark Leadership on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you want to learn more about CoachUp's programs uh, for your organization, please connect with us at coachup.com.